Good morning. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to start today. Uh, and then if you would also grab, let's see here, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Ready? Stand and pray together and we'll get going. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for this church and for the people that are here. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and that you would fill us and possess us and that you would touch our hearts and our minds today as we're here before you. Father, we pray that you would fill us, God, with your ways and not with the ways of this world, but that you would continue to conform us and transform us into the glory of your image. God, as we're here, we just want to ask that you would help us to humbly, humbly, humbly submit ourselves before you. So we ask for you for help. We ask you, God, for help. Because we want to be like you. We want to know you, God, and we want to draw close to you, God. We love you, God. We give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. All right. Ready to get started? Me too. Matthew chapter 16, uh, we'll start from the beginning, but uh, I really want the second part of this, not the first part. Um, thank you, Jesus. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Um, the first part of this uh, is going to stand in contrast with the second part, which we're about to just read. Uh, in order to, um, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they want Jesus to prove to them, of course, that he is. Oh, Sally's here. Hello. And Ka wait, where's Catherine? Oh, where's, Ka oh, yeah. Hello, it's Boston Church. That's so weird. Okay, all right. And, uh, and so they asked him to prove to them that, that he was from heaven. They, they, wanted, they wanted proof. They wanted to see something. They wanted to see something right here and right now to demonstrate that Jesus is who he says that he is. And you're about to see that this stands in contrast with what um, Jesus is about to say next, okay? And, and, he, and his answer to them is actually very interesting. He says, when it is evening, you say that it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, Jesus says to them, Jesus says to them actually that the sign that they're looking for is presently available to them. They just don't know how to read it in the way that they know how to read all the other signs that are all around, in other words, that the proof that they're looking for is actually immediately available to them. They just don't know how to read it. Uh, this is very interesting because of what he's about to say next is an evil and judge generation seeks for sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet, uh, except for the sign of Jonah. So they left them and departed. Okay, so they didn't get the sign that they were asking for because they were trying to test God. But Jesus' response to them is interesting. He's saying the sign is actually already available. You just can't see it. It's already here. It's in front of your eyes, like right here, right now. And that's interesting because of what's about to happen next. Five, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. That's actually just wonderful. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the day where we will forget to bring bread. Um, it just means that they, I, I think that they had other things on their mind that was more important than what they were going to eat that day. 
Alrighty. There's so lots of things that we may forget to do. We never forget to cater. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, obviously in reference to the conversation they just had before, right? So, so I, I love this, right? So Jesus, knowing that they don't have any bread and knowing that they're hungry, uses a metaphor that will specifically provoke them to remember their hunger. Have you ever um, had a situation where, like, you're praying to God for something, or you like, or there's something that you really wanted, and um, it, whatever it is that you want, just happens to the person next to you, and in such a way that, like, God makes sure that you see it. It's good. It's good. It's good. All right. So he says, "Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees." And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, well, "Yeah, we brought no bread." <laughs> um. I just can't help laugh every time I, I read this because Jesus, specific, I mean, he could have used any metaphor, honestly, like any metaphor would have worked here, but he specifically chooses a metaphor specifically designed to provoke uh, that thing in them, the, the lack in them that they most, um, that they most feel. Uh, um, you know, there's, there are certain things that give God great pleasure, and one of them is actually sanctifying us. It, it gives God great pleasure to help you become more righteous. And, and sometimes it gives us great discomfort the way in which he does it. But it gives him great pleasure to sanctify us. And, and, and it, it's a glorious thing. It's just not always a fun thing. So they began discussing among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets were you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread, but where the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to wear the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's just, it's awesome. Good. Very good. I love the entire exchange. I love the entire exchange. Okay. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, we already talked about that. They, they, they don't... Uh, believe that he's him. They want to test him. They want him to do something right here, right now, vending machine style to demonstrate that he is who he claims to be. They want to be God and they want Jesus to prove himself to them. That doesn't work. But, but that's their attitude. All right. Now, the conversation shifts to disciples. Disciples also have a need, right? Disciples have a need. They could fall into the same trap that the Pharisees and Sadducees are in, and Jesus is trying to help them. So he starts by saying this. He says, oh, you of little faith. Um, interesting. All right. So the fact that they are more aware, they are more conscious of their need than they are of God's provision proves that they don't have very much faith. going to go ahead and say that again. The very fact that they are more aware of their need than of God's provision shows that they don't have very much faith. Okay, when you are more aware of the fact that you need a house or a job or an income or a car or a spouse or a child or a miracle, then of God's provision, it's proof that you don't have very much faith. This is not the church you come to if you want to feel good about yourself at the end of the day. Does that make any sense? And, and like Jesus doesn't make him feel good. He said, there, there, don't worry, I'll provide for you. He says, oh, you have little faith. Yeah? Why are you discussing among yourselves that you don't have any bread? 
it is wearisome to God that he teaches us the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And we insist on believing what we can see rather than what he tells us is true. Okay, and then he gives him two escape paths. Okay, he says, do you not perceive? It's very interesting because this is exactly what he told us here, the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is that if you really wanted to know, the signs are, are available to you, they're presently available to you, you just refuse to see them. And so the first thing is, don't you perceive? Like, can't you, do, like, do you not understand? Have you not, like, don't, don't you see all around you, like, God's faithfulness and who he is? And, like, in the world that you are currently in, in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a lake, like, you know, with nothing around you except, I mean, like, it's, in that space, like, he expects their exper present experience of the world to be interpreted in such a way as to believe in God's provision rather than to believe in their lack. Even if you don't see any miracles in your life, um, God expects you to interpret the world around you in such a way that you nevertheless have faith in him. And that's a, that's a tough thing for a lot of people. But that is what he expects. He expects that we are able to take a look at the circumstances all around and that those circumstances will fill us with faith. I, 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 I get it. It's like you're thinking of your own life. You're like, uh like there's a lot of things I need. There's a lot of things that are still lacking in my life. But even then, you see, God expects you to see that, that, that the sparrow does not worry for tomorrow. And, and he expects you to see that the flower does not toil or spin. He, he expects you to notice the things that, that help reinforce your faith rather than the things that help reinforce your, your faithlessness, your doubts, your skepticism, your diminishing of him. And those are choices that we make every day. Every day we choose to believe in him or we choose to believe in not him. Every day we choose to believe that he is good and he is present or we choose to believe that he is absent and he doesn't care. And you, that's actually a choice that you get to make. And it's a choice that, um, that hopefully we make correctly. Okay, so the first, the first way to deal with the lack of faith, there are two ways that he gives to deal with your lack of faith, to save yourself from not having any faith in him. The first is by perception. Like by simply looking around you and being able to see it. But in the event that you cannot do that yet, you're working on it, hopefully. But in the event that you're not quite there yet in doing that, there's actually a second way, an escape, if the first does not work. God is so merciful. He gives us a backup. He gives us a backup to our, gives us a backup. This is plan B. In case plan A doesn't work out for you, in case you're not that good at plan A, there's a plan B. And the plan B is this. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? And from these two things, he expects that you will always be able to have faith in him. If you cannot perceive, he expects you to remember. Plan A is that you perceive but if you cannot perceive, then he expects you to remember. The key for many of us to a relationship with God, or, 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 and with people, by the way, the same principle works for people, although, you know, as always, I care more about your relationship with God. But the key to a relationship with God that is stable and steadfast is that you are always able to remember the things that he has done, even if you cannot see the things that he is doing. And that you do not allow your lack of ability to see what he is doing to compromise what he has done. The problem that a lot of us have is that when we don't see what he is doing, that we reinterpret what he did before. So as to undermine the testimony that you've 
already have. It, it's, it's very, it's suicidal, like it, it's, it's for your faith. It, it, but it is incredible that, that when we don't, are not getting what we want right this second, we will take all the miracles God has ever done for us and just begin to undermine them and belittle them or rewrite history. Like we'll just, you know, God didn't really do that. That was kind of a coincidence. Or maybe that wasn't really God. Like, you know, maybe I didn't, under, yeah, maybe I didn't really perceive God. Maybe that wasn't really God doing it. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe it was like, we begin to, to, to undermine them. And the reason that um, um, our enemy is quite clever because he understands this, because he understands that like, if you can tap into what God did before, that your faith will be encouraged. Um, so number one, he blinds you to what God is doing now. And then number two, then he begins to, in your own memory, his does not affect the facts at all. God did work for you. He's done miracles for you. He's followed. He's been with you and faithful to you every moment of your life. That doesn't change it at all. But for whatever reason, in your memories, your memories begin to be corrupted in such a way that you, you begin to question what God has done. And in questioning what God has done, then you just lose sight of it. Then you say, oh, well, of little faith. Why? Because the two paths to reinforcing your faith have both been undermined. You've allowed it. And as a Christian, it's, it's actually our responsibility. Like, it's our responsibility to grow and our ability to perceive what God is presently doing all the time. This is one thing that Jesus did so well that there's almost like, I, I can't find any other like, model in Scripture for this. For instance, um, the book of Luke, I, I think it's Luke, oh God, what is it? I think it's chapter 4, where it says that Jesus was in a meeting and he perceived that the Spirit of the Lord was with him to heal. Now that's, very, that's a very interesting phrase for me personally because... Uh, not only is the Spirit of God with him, but Jesus was able to perceive what the Spirit of God was with him to do. I mean, that's a very, like, strong, like, sense of perception, do you know? Like, I, and that's a very strong, because what that suggests to me is that sometimes the Spirit of God is with you to do only certain things and not other things. But what if, for instance, one day you showed up to church, right, and the Spirit of God did not show up to teach that day? Or to sing praises to God? I mean, for a lot of us, that would be like the entirety of like what we think church is. It's just like, you know, out the window. Like, what if, what if the Spirit of the Lord was with us only to fellowship with one another? That that would be a weird service. I mean, for this church, for other churches, it would be like, you know, but that'd be like a weird service. Be like, what, we have to hang out? To? I mean, it would just be weird. Or what if the Spirit was with us to pray or to intercede? What if the Spirit was with us to deliver? What if the Spirit was with us to counsel? What if, like, it, it, I mean, there is, his sense of perception, do you see, that's different from remembrance. He's not remembering something God did with him before. He's perceiving what God is doing there in that moment, which is like, wow. Like, that's, like, that's, I, I mean, that's, like, next level. That's, that's next level. Because even the prophets, you know, they didn't quite, I mean, sometimes God just speak to them. Like, Elijah, Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. But, but God, I'm hiding here with the widow of Zarephath. Like, you know, Elijah, show yourself. I, I mean, God had to lead them by his voice because, you know, from one season to the next, God had to be like, okay, Elijah, come this way. We're doing this now. But Jesus was able to perceive what the Holy Spirit was doing in every room that he was in. And isn't that incredible? It's, a, it's incredible. I encourage you to try to learn this, actually. I and mean, you can learn this in every like, moment in, in, in life. When you're at work, for instance, and you have a meeting, which I know some of you have many of, God bless. Uh, I, I wonder if you can learn uh, to perceive what the Lord is doing then in that moment. I wonder if you can when someone asks you a question, to then pause for a moment and not just to you know, barf all your understanding on them, but, but to perceive the, what it is that God wants to say in that moment. Do you, like, do you know, like, 
like there, there's something that is a uh, is something that I think God expects us to train up and to raise ourselves up in so that we know so that you get to the point where you don't say anything except what the Father's saying, you don't do anything except what the Father's doing. That's rough, that's hard, but that is plan A. And if, here's the thing, here's the thing. If you can get to that place, you'll never lack faith. If you can always understand what it, where it is that God is moving and what it is that he's doing, then he'll never tell you, oh, you have a little faith. And so that, that moment by moment relationship with him is like really, really important. But today actually, um, I want to focus on the second part. Do you not remember? Um, because this is plan B, but this is a very, um, the reason that this is a very sound plan B is because you should be able to train yourself to remember. You should be able to train yourself to remember. Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets did you gather? Seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets did you gather? Hmm. Um, Jesus expected that they would never complain about not having bread. Why? Because they already have already experienced at least twice that we know of where he took no bread and made bread. And the very memory of it should have sustained their faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, here we go, here we go. Moses uh, commands obedience to Israel, and he says this. I'm going to start in verse 1, okay? Uh, but we're really trying to get to verse 9. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, but you may keep the command of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did about uh, Fior. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. And but you who have held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for, they, um, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who, when they hear of all your statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Stop. That was awesome. Let's read that one again, because that was so awesome. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord your God, our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Your greatness is in the laws of God that you choose to humble yourself to. It's not in how awesome you are. It's in the greatness of the laws of God that you choose to humble and submit yourself to and to obey. Is that incredible or is that incredible? Like, wisdom is not found in be yourself. Wisdom is found in understanding the ways of God and submitting yourself to those ways. Yeah, it's wow. I think it's wow anyways. And so whenever people say, oh, too many rules, not enough actually. Because <laughs> having the right ones, having good ones, evidently elevates you in the eyes of others. You ever seen an army? You ever been impressed with an army where everybody did exactly what they wanted to do? No, you haven't. What is impressive about an army is that they are all able to march in perfect sync 
and do exactly what they're supposed to do. And what is impressive about an orchestra is that they're all playing the same things, not the, not the same notes, but you know, the same piece of music in their own way together. The orchestra is not impressive when second violinist number five, the fifth chair, you know, decides that he's going to play a different part of the concerto than what everybody else is playing. Like, that's not impressive at all. That, that makes you look stupid and incompetent. And it's the same with the people of God that do, that do not accept the laws and the statutes that, that, that reveal his wisdom. Okay. There are two things that Moses said all right, that makes you great. What is it? Number one, that God is close to you, that he is near to you. You see that perception? That, that like, he is always with you all the time, but sometimes we're not able to perceive it. He says, this is what makes you great. Number one, that God is with you. And number two, that the laws and the rules and the statutes of God and your obedience of them will lift you up and elevate you and make you appear wise and understanding in the eyes of others. I love this. Now, nine. Only take care and keep yourself diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Only keep your soul diligently. Because why? Why is it? Why do you need to keep your soul diligent that you would forget? What would you forget? That you forget the things that your eyes have seen that they would depart from your heart the days of your life. Forgetting God, forgetting what he has done, forgetting who he is. Do you see? Like, you have to, but you have to keep it diligently. The, the, the easiest thing is because you don't perceive what God is doing today to then forget what he did yesterday or to throw it away. Oh, what does it matter that God got me into college? And, you know, I should have gone to state school, but instead I went to Harvard. Oh, what does it matter? I, God's not giving me a job right now. That, that's the, if you want to have no faith, believe, set your mind to believe that, those things. You know, oh, what does it matter that God did that for me? God is not doing this for me right here and right now. Like, like if you want the secret to having no faith in God, that's the way that you think. You put God on trial every day of your life and force him like a, like a circus clown or something like that to continue performing for you because you refuse to remember the things that he has already done, the things that he has always done, the faithfulness he has always demonstrated to you every day of your life. But what Moses is trying to teach to me, what Jesus wants you to remember is that that one miracle, that those two miracles of multiplying bread that you saw, they should have fed your... Um, the thing in you that could, that could have a fear of the lack of food, it should have solved that problem forever. If you remember what, if you're able to, if you choose to, it's a choice that you make. If you diligently keep your soul in a place where you remember what God has done for you, always remember that. In Joshua chapter 4, there's um, this thing that I really love, this great, really great story, which is going to have Go ahead and read to you. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, so this is when they're crossing into the promised land, so a little bit later. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people and from each tribe a man and command them saying, take 12 stones from out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the 
um, priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Before God did the miracle, splitting the river so the people of Israel could pass through it, he commanded them to do something that would cause them to remember the miracle that he was going to do. Because the things that God does for you are not meant to just feed you for a moment. They're meant to feed you for a lifetime. It, it, there's a big difference between the way that God operates and the way that, that, that you and I operate. If somebody doesn't tell you like every five minutes that they love you, you forget that they love you. But God loves, remembers every loving thing that you've ever done for him and to him. That's why in Acts chapter 10, God says to, um, uh, 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 he talks to the, um, the centur- uh, what, is, what is that guy's name? Um, what, brain fart, Jesus have mercy. This is like, what, what am I, um, don't, don't preach about things without, uh, without remembering. Cornelius, dear God. And he says, Cornelius, he says, your, your alms and your prayers have ascended as a memorial before God. And the angel says to him, right? And then Cornelius becomes the open door through which the gospel comes to the Gentiles. That's incredible. Your alms and your prayers have ascended as a memorial before God. In the same way that God commanded the people. See, God doesn't need rocks to help him remember. God just remembers. He remembers every good thing that you've ever done. The Bible actually says that God has a book. He has different books. He has a book of life. God has different books. Imagine that. God, he has a book of the book of life that your you know your name better be in there otherwise we in trouble like you have this book of life he has a book of remembrance a book where he remembers all the things the conversations that people have had the tears that you've cried the prayers that you've prayed the things that you've done He's, he he remembers and God doesn't need a book to remember you understand his perfect memory but the reason that 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 we are told about God's book is because we need books to remember <laughs> and to help you understand that God really does remember and he expects you to remember. And this dynamic of, of the, the role of remembering in the Christian life uh, is, if you understand it, this, I, I think it'll really, it'll really help you a lot. Do you know that remembering is something that God talks about about 150 times in the Bible? He asks you to remember him or he tells you that he will remember you. But we don't understand this very well because we are not very good at remembering, period. We're certainly not very good at using our memory as, a, as an anchor for our relationships. How many of you, when you have um, a season where you're not doing particularly well in God, like you're failing to pray or maybe you're like stuck in some sin or something like that, you begin to feel like God is rejecting you, God hates you, God no longer loves you, God is far from you and you can't, you know, you can't approach him in prayer, you can't, you just feel like, oh, God hates me, God is not with me. Like, do you you know what I mean? You just like feel like, but that's a very human way of, of, of feeling and of thinking. 
Because yes, God sees that you're not in a very good place right in that moment, but God remembers in a very real way every moment that you've lived before him your entire life. And even though your perception of yourself in that moment is, has to do with all the weakness and all the sin and all the frailty that you're experiencing in that moment, that's not God's experience of you. His experience of you is that he remembers because he is a faithful, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. He remembers the life that you've lived before him up until that time. And so in a moment where you're not doing particularly well in him, God's not like, well, you know, you're kind of a sinner. I don't want to have anything to do with you right now. You kind of stink. You've got to take a shower and come back. He's not like that because, because his, for him, his reality is also colored by all the other things, all the wonderful memories, all the, all the things that he remembers that he continues. To, he, he remembers your faithfulness, <laughs> a little bit of it that there is, much better than you and I remember the greatness of his faithfulness. But the key to actually staying steadfast in faith and not being like what Jesus says, oh, you little faith. The key to staying in faith is to learn to remember rightly all the things that God has done for us. Why is it that oral tradition does not suffice? In, in other words, the story of the river parting and the people walking through will be passed down to their children through oral tradition, right? Just one generation telling the story to another generation, one person telling the story to another, to another person. That's oral tradition. But for God, he, see, he knew that oral tradition would not be enough for them to remember. And so he said, I want to, you to build a memorial of, of rocks that cannot be moved, 12 rocks arranged in a certain way that cannot be moved, a, a weird orientation in a, in a location that you're going to frequent by the river, where you're going to be here often. And in generations to come, you're going to be here often. And, and because he knows that our memories are faulty, he commanded them to create a memorial, so even when we don't remember, that there'd be something in our lives to remind us. To remind us. And we don't do these things, like, particularly well, except that I want to encourage you to, to do them. This is, like... I'm just going to go, I, I personally don't have that much faith that everybody in this room will do this, so I'm just going to pray that some do. Because if you will learn to do this, this will really, really, really help you. This will really help you. Fact, okay, there are certain things that God does that are very easy to perceive. There are some certain things that God does that are very difficult to perceive. For instance, for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the heavens were closed. There was no prophet in Israel. 400 years, God did not speak out of the heavens. Now, there's intertestamental writings from the Jews where, you know, there's certain things that happened. In, but, but, like, it's not clear that God did anything particularly significant from, you know, about 400 B.C. or so when Malachi wrote, ah, maybe 380, somewhere in that range, until, you know, when Jesus, uh, John the Baptist's ministry began around 2680. About 400 years or so where it seems like God did not do very much. Now, it's not that God didn't do anything. It's just that it was more difficult to perceive what God was doing because it's just a little bit more, less obvious. Does that make any sense? If you were perceptive, you could still perceive, but if you weren't per perceptive, then he expected you to remember, which is why they handed down the books, the stories, 
from one generation to the next, which is why the Jews have holidays that remember, like, you know, the various things that God has done. It's, it's very useful that, you know, once a year you would stop and you would celebrate a holiday and then the story would be told and you would remember, you remember, you remember, you remember, remember, because that's what tethers you to God is and that's what sustains your faith when it's not clear to you what God is doing right here, right now. We do not have a right to demand that God shows up for us in the way that we want him to show up for us every day of our life. And sometimes God will go a generation without, without doing something that we consider to be a revival or something of that sort. Generations have come and gone without seeing, you know, millions of people saved and, you know, nations swept into the kingdom. Like, that's happened, like, often through, through history. I mean, in the 20th century, we've been blessed with, you know, three or four major waves of, of, of revivals. But, but there's no guarantee that that's the way that God works. Like, once every 20 years seems like a really, really long time for people. But in the grand scheme of history, once every 20 years is like... I mean, it might as well be a metronome. Like, it's, just, it's so consistent that you might, it's, like, it's, uh, it's bizarre. God expects you to sustain faith in him if he doesn't work for 400 years. If, you're, if you and your, and your father and your father's father and his father and his father and his father and his father has not experienced a revival during the course of that lifetime, he still expects that you would have faith in him and that your faith would not be small when he shows up. And the reason and the way to do that is if you learn to build memorials that you can point to, that you can point your children to, that they can point their children to, that they can point their children to, to the things that God has done. But you and I, we don't remember things God did three months ago. And it was that God, that wasn't God, that was just, that was thunder. That wasn't the voice of God. It's, it's not a way to sustain faith if you want to sustain your faith. You have to learn to remember. If, let's put it this way, if God does five miracles in your life, your entire lifetime, that's more than you or I deserve. And also much more than we need to sustain a faith in him, unless you forget unless you fail to remember, unless you begin to meditate on your disappointments, unless you begin to corrupt the memories that you had of him, unless you forgot to write it down in your journal, to carve something on the walls, you know, to paint a mural, you know, to, to, to make a scrapbook, unless you forgot to commemorate and to build a memorial to the things that God has done, which is the way that we live, you see. I don't, not one of those people that likes to um, uh, 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 photograph like every moment in life. I think it's absurd. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, there are some people, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, that if you, they, you're going to go to a restaurant with them, they would not eat anything without first taking a photo of it and, and putting it on Instagram. Like, that's not necessary, in my opinion. But if you were to take that, that uh, hobby, Shall we call it? <laughs> if you were to take that hobby and you were to apply it to the things of God, it would actually strengthen your faith uh, in a way that people that don't do that, they don't, they don't have that discipline, they, they, they don't have that. And, and it would be much better for you to take that particular proclivity of yours and use it towards something that will build you up inside. But, I mean, what does it benefit you to remember every plate of Michelin star food you've ever eaten? Like, who cares? Like, what, what, like, what are you going to taste that lasagna like 17 years later? I still remember the creaminess. I still remember the, the al dente-ness. I mean, who cares? Like, who cares? But if you would take that and you would remember 
when God possessed you? Do you remember when he touched you? Do you remember when he set you free? Do you remember when he gave you peace in the storm? Do you remember when you didn't have a place to go to school and he provided one? When you didn't have a job and he answered you out of your affliction? <laughs> When you only made $100 and you wanted to make $120, and so you were like, oh, Lord, it's like making bricks without straw. <laughs> but if you would remember those things, and if you would build memorials to them, you know, we have in our, uh, in our, in our uh, SharePoint folder um, the, the graphics from, like, from, conferences pass and every spreadsheet pretty much that we've ever used in the history of the ministry because I, I, I remember in, in, in days past or it would, to, to, I'm, doing like, I'm, I'm doing fine today but you know, there have been times like over the years where you just like feel really alone where God doesn't give you the miracles that you've asked him for and he doesn't do the things that you've asked him to do and the people that you trust in don't come through and, and, and then you just feel really, really alone. I remember sometimes I would just open the spreadsheets of days past. I know it's not necessarily your idea of, of, of a keepsake or a memento, but spreadsheets speak to some of us. Open the spreadsheets of, of years past and just remember what God has done. Look at the names of the people that he has given to us to touch and to reach and to be with. And, uh, some have gone, some have betrayed us, some have whatever. But the things that God did and the ways that he did them, the unexpected way in which he brought about this or he brought about that, or he provided just all sorts of things. He, you know, <laughs> venues he provided, buses that showed up, accidents that didn't happen, people that never expected. I, just all sorts of miracles. Times where people were so touched that just like hours and hours and hours later, like God was still... And, and you just remember, and you don't accuse God and say, well, you know, God, why don't you do this right now? But you just remember all the things that God has done, every single person that God has touched, all the ways in which he touched them, the gifts that he gave them, whether they use them for his sake or not. It, it doesn't change the fact that God did what God was supposed to do. And therefore, you build your faith off those things. You know? You remember when you were a student and you really needed $20 to get to that conference or to, you know, whatever, and $20 just magically appeared? Like, that's a treasured memory. It's not something that you just forget about. It's not something that you look back and you're like, well, I mean, who knows? Maybe the $20 was in my wallet. Maybe my roommate put it there. Like, it's not the sort of thing that you, if you want to sustain your faith, you don't just begin to doubt those things. You treasure those things. You remember those things. You store them up and, and, and it feeds you. And it feeds you, you know. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was found in the temple by Mary, uh, Mary and Joseph, and they didn't quite understand. And he said, and didn't you know you need to build my father's business? At the end of that story, there's a verse, and it says, and Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, which is a really interesting verse. Really interesting. Mary had just the most bizarre and unusual experience of anyone at that time. I mean, if you, like, if somebody came to you and said, I'm pregnant, God got me pregnant, that's a little bit odd. That's a little bit odd. And Mary's life, honestly, was a little bit odd, especially since until Jesus rose from the dead, nobody, I don't think, really understood or believed in him. 
But Mary did so well through life, and, and there are not a lot of verses that talk about her, but this one, I think, is a secret to her life. She treasured up every experience that she had with God. She remembered them. She didn't lose sight of them. She didn't doubt them. When everyone rejected her, when she, her life began to diverge from what you know, the normal Jewish girl like, was expected to, she just treasured up these things, and they fed her over the course of decades. Treasured up these things. Same for you and for me. Everybody in this room has experienced God in their life. If you have not, you would not be sitting in this room in particular. Everybody in this room has experienced God in some way, in some time. My guess is that you've experienced Him at least five or ten times, and maybe even more. That's more than enough for you to sustain your faith in Him every moment of your life. If you learn to remember, if you learn to treasure the things that He has done, if you remember, if you are able to intentionally Practically, this is not just like, oh, I guess I'll do that. No, if you're able to remember, treasure up who he is to you. You know? And you can, it's just a choice. Those of you that enjoy scrapbooking, this would be perfect for you. Those of you that enjoy, like, it, it's perfect for you, but it, it's perfect for, for you because um, this is something that God actually, he, he I think it, it behooves you to be intentional about it. Just to be like, oh yeah, I'll remember. No, no, to, to actually to be really, really intentional about it. To set and to create memorials for yourself. They don't moved that you can pass from one generation to the next. The stories of God's faithfulness in your life. In your life. The same is also true of the way that you relate to people, by the way. There is no one that you're going to like every moment of your life. I know. I know. I, 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 if there were ever to be anyone that, I mean, you know what, I'm not going to, that's not, that's, it, there's, there's not going to be anyone that, that you're going to like every moment of your life. It's not going to happen. So sustaining a relationship over time requires that you remember the things that you like about someone, even when they're not particularly likable in that moment. There are other ways to try to do relationship. One is, well, I'll just go, I'm just going to ignore you until you become likable again. There, you, you could do that too, um, but then you probably won't have a lot of deep and meaningful relationships in life. I'm just going to go to my room and not talk to you until you get over this. Uh, you, you could do that, but that, that, may not be, um, that, that may not be a key to having great relationships. Um, but the thing that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, when someone's not particularly likable, to remember all the things that you like about them. All the things that they've done that you've liked. All the, all the things that, 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 you, that you're able to just cherish in your heart. You know? I, I have noticed like, for a long time now that you know, you know the verse, honor your mother and father, it's much easier to do when you get older. And the reason it's easier to do when you're older is because when you're young and you live in a house, you're constantly perceiving all their weaknesses, all the things that they're not perfect in. But when you're older and you don't live in their house anymore, you're able to remember, if you choose to remember, all the wonderful things that they did instead of perceiving all the humanness that they, that they have. And um, that, that's, not, that's just na natural and it's human, but it's not the way that God is called. He wants you to be able to remember the good about others even when you are perceiving the not so good about them in the moment. And if you're able to do that, you're able to sustain honor 
you're able to sustain love. You're able to sustain the willingness to celebrate. You're, willing to, you're able to sustain intimacy with people throughout seasons in life. There's not a, a relationship that's going to work out very well for you if you insist that they perform for you in every moment of life. If you insist that somebody smiles at you every time they see you, and if they don't smile at you, then they hate you, and you don't, you're not going to have any good friendships. But if you are able to, when they frown at you, as some do, remember the time, the last time they did smile at you, though it be six years ago, then, then it's just easier to, to hold that, that regard and that love for them in your heart. Do you know? And, and see, that's what... There are certain things about God that he just is, and he expects us to be that way. He is a covenant-keeping God. He, he is a God that remembers his promises even when, like, he is a God that is very faithful and very consistent throughout time and long, very, very, very long periods of time. And in order to make you like him, sometimes he allows you to go through seasons where he expects you to sustain yourself in the same way. Today, generations after David died, God looked back at David and said, because of your father, David, yada, 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 you know, I'm not, like, hey, you are a terrible sinner, but because of your father, David, because I'm really faithful to him, you know, I'm not destroying the kingdom. I mean, that's incredible that God could remember something that happened two or 300 years ago and say, because of that, I'm letting Judah exist. I'm not, I'm not sending you into captivity in this generation. I'm not destroying Jerusalem. In this. Like, that's really incredible. And he expects us to do the same. He expects us to do the same. He expects that, like, if you've ever seen him heal anybody one time, that you will, in great faith, pray for every sick person you ever meet the rest of your life. He expects that if he ever gave you a job once, that, you were, that every time you ever need a job for the rest of your life, you will remember that he is a job-giving God. He expects that, like, do you understand that if he ever provided any, like, money for you at any point in your life, that you will never again doubt whether there will be money for you when you need it. It, it seems like a high sinner. It's not. It's, it's who he is, and he gives us the opportunity to be the same way that he is. And the way that he does it is he doesn't show up for us like a vending machine that is just like, because he expects us to be able to live out of the things that we remember, not just out of, out of you know, every moment, like needing constant reinforcement. He expects us to be mature enough to be able to remember who he is when he's like. And you can do that. And you can do that really, really practically. And I want to encourage you to learn how to do that. Every person in this room right now, without effort or strain, should be able to immediately come up with a list. Immediately be able to relive the memories of the miracles that God has done for you in this life. If it takes you more than a second to come up with it, like, you got to work on this. You got to work on this. Because what will happen through life is that the devil will seed lies, I mean, you know, into your mind. And immediately you need, like, there, immediately there needs to be, a, not a counter argument, but like, but immediately there needs to be a counter against it. Do, do you know? When the devil came to tempt Jesus, um, Jesus had an answer to every one of his temptations. He didn't just say, oh, devil talk, I'm just going to let you talk and I'm just going to sit here. Immediately he was like, that's not right. That's not true. Immediately he had a counter. Well, if you were the son of God, you would take the stone and you would make it bread. 
And Jesus immediately quotes Deuteronomy chapter 7, I think, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like, it was not, it wasn't like, you know, that's a good point, devil. Maybe I should make this bread. You know, maybe God doesn't live. Maybe I'm actually a son. Maybe I can't work any miracles. It wasn't like that. He, do, do you see, like, immediately he had a response to what it is the devil was throwing at him. And the response was, I mean, that was his, he, he was conscious of the response. Like, even as he was, like, and you and I have to be the same. We can't just let the devil talk to you and talk to you and talk to you and talk to you talk to you. I mean, you can't just like talk to you and talk to you and talk to you. Like, it's just not the way it works. I'm like, shut up, devil. Like, I have a response. And in order to do that, like, the things that God wants you to meditate on, you need to actually be meditating on. So in that moment, you're not like, let me search this, the database here. Oh, it's not in the RAM. It's, it's in the hard drive. No, it's not in the hard drive. It's in the archives. It's in the, you know, five cents per terabyte per month hard drive because I never access those memories. <laughs> it, no, it needs to be like, like, like immediate, instant access. You know, like it's like, boom, have I got a story for you. When the devil says, no, oh, God's not going to provide you. You were such a loser. I can remember 26 times where God provided for me. Like, just don't like, make any sense. It needs to be like a, like, seriously, like it just like right on top of you, like, boom. When the devil comes to your mind, he's like, you know, Lily texted you today, and there was no smiley at the end of it. She must be really mad at you. She, she must be really mad at you. You must have done a really bad job with the last thing that, you know, she asked you to do. I, I mean, Lily hates you. Don't go to church Sunday. I mean, it, it, like, it just immediately, immediately, you need to remember the last time she did smile at you. Like, you know, like, immediately, there just needs to be, like, well, it's like, that's not true, devil. That's not true of our relationship. That's not true of the way we relate to each other. That's not true of, of like, this is not real. Like, like you're a liar. Like, does that make any sense? Otherwise, you'll be like, yeah, she is mad at me. Oh, yeah, I'm doing a bad job. Oh, yeah, why do you belong to this church? Oh, yeah, I'm not good enough for this. No. <laughs> you know, like, like th there needs to be a counter, and the counter needs to be, like, readily available, just, like, readily available. It's like, boom, have I got something for you. And you could do it. Don't let him scare you off. Don't let him convince you of things that aren't true. Oh, so-and-so hates you. No, they don't. No, they don't. We just went to dinner like three months ago. You know, we had a great time telling jokes. We like share each other's lives. Like, I, yeah, we don't like text like every three seconds. I don't really hate it. That's not, this is, you, you, the memories sustain your faith. You need to remember the right things. And if you have trouble remembering, like most people do, and if your memories are prone to corruption, as most people's are, learn to build memorials. Learn to build memorials. If you go on a tour of Israel today, there's almost nowhere you can go where there's not some story of something that God did for his people in that place. I mean, there's, just almost, there's just almost nowhere you can go. Like, it, it, I mean, if you've studied the Bible, if you haven't studied the Bible, then sure, you may not know what God did there. But, you know, in the northern plains, in the southern mountains, in these heights, and that, like, I mean, every city, like, every place, there's, oh, you know, David, David his eminence here, and, you know, P P uh, Jesus preached a sermon there. Like, it, it, there's so many, it's just, it's everywhere. It's mind-boggling. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Like, in this river, this happened, in that, in this place, you know, God uh, gave him victory over these enemies. In this place, you know, God worked a miracle and saved his army from, I, it's just, it's absolutely it's endless if you know about it. And it's the same in your life. It's absolutely endless if you know about it. And sometimes it's, it's, it's worthwhile. When Eliza sometimes is not feeling well, um, 
Esther, I will actually show her photos from her life. We have lots of photos, especially Esther. I don't have as many, but, but, but she, we have just photos. There are photos of when she first wrote her first carousel, photos of when she went to the museum to make art, photos of taking her to California, to photos of food that she ate, pools that she swam in, like, you know, fries that she consumed, you know, times where, you know, I mean, she remembers, like, my grandparents, uh, her grandparents, my parents, like, oh, remember this time, yeah, and I took you to Chipotle? Remember this time, yeah, and I gave you your first fish? Remember this time they gave you guacamole? Remember this time that you made guacamole? Remember this time where you picked the gigantic grapefruit out of the garden that was bigger than you? Like, I mean, it, we, we show her these things to help her to remember her wonderful life and how blessed she is. Even someone as blessed as her, I mean, she has a zillion toys, you know, like a zillion experiences, like I've just, but even someone as blessed as that, you, you can, it's very easy, it's very quick, you get very quick to forget. But what the photos do is they remember, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, I do go on adventures. Oh yeah, my life is great. Oh yeah, I've had lots of pizza, you know? I mean, you know what four-year-olds think about, not, not any of the, the, the interesting things, um, but whatever. And it's the same with you and me. So um, I, want, I really want to encourage you to make this practical. If, if you're letting the devil just have free roam over your thoughts, mistake, it is a counter to everything that he says, and that should be readily available to you, and it will be readily available to you if you're meditating on the right things. On the right things. You know? Even things like, I hate my boss. Um, the, the, <laughs> don't let those things overtake you. Even like, my job sucks, it's really hard. Do not let those things overtake you. Remember what God wants you to remember. Forget what you need to forget. Forgive what you need to forgive. Remember what you're supposed to remember. And don't let Jesus come look at you and be like, oh, you little faith. Don't you remember? Don't, don't let him do that to you. Don't let him do that to you. Remember what you're supposed to remember. All right? Then you stand. Let's pray. Uh, we'll have the band come up and lead us in worship a little bit more. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, God, that even now you would help us and teach us, God, to bring to mind the things that you cause us to remember and to think of and to meditate on. And I pray, O oh Lord, that for this church, that you would teach us to feed ourselves on the things that you have done, on the breakthrough that you've given to us, on the miracles that we have seen, on the prayers that you have answered. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us, God, how to feed ourselves on these things so that we would not forget and that we would not doubt. Thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for your goodness and for your graciousness. Thank you, God, for your miraculous, brilliant, glorious goodness. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for every time that you've healed us of our sickness. Thank you for every time that you've saved us from our foolishness and from our mistakes. Thank you, God, for every time that you've brought us back when we were so deep in sin and so deep in muck. Thank you, God for the way that you've given us friends when we were lonely. You've given us a sense of belonging when we felt like we were all alone in this world. Thank you, God, that you've given us purpose when we felt like our life was purposeless. And thank you, God, that when we cried out to you, you've never neglected us, you've never forgotten about us. Now, Lord, even if we do not perceive what you're doing in our life today, I pray that you would help us to remember the things that you've done yesterday and not forget nor fail to celebrate forever and ever and ever your goodness and your grace. And also pray, God, for the not feed ourselves on bitterness, on offense, on unforgiveness, on disappointment, on discouragement, or misunderstanding, or non-understanding, or miscommunication, or anything.
else. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to feed ourselves, God, on the memories of kindness, on the memories of mercy, on the memories of grace, on the memories of goodness. That you would help us to feed ourselves, God, on the memories of forgiveness and the memories of tenderness. And that you would create beautiful, wonderful intimacy and love in this church.